Jesus is. And we're going to be talking for the next couple of weeks just about just that. We're going to be filling in that blank. Jesus is. And uh, today in particular, as we kick off this season, the Christmas season is upon us. I don't think I have to remind you of that. Uh, You know that already. Uh, You've probably known that since July. Some of you are crazy like that. You started your Christmas shopping back last January, and so you're already just very well aware that it's the Christmas season. And so uh, we're going to be talking again for the next couple of weeks about Jesus is, and we're going to, again, be filling in that blank with a couple of different things. We could, this could be a series that we just do like forever, like we never stop it because there's a lot of things that could actually go in that blank. And uh, we're going to be looking at just a couple of passages of Scripture over the next couple of weeks that, that really fill that in. But one of the things I want to ask you to do over uh, to really at the end of today's service, just as we wrap things up today as we come and we take communion together, is right over here on this table there is uh, some little cards and little uh, ornament hangers and uh, as you come and take communion, we just like to ask you if you want to, you, you don't have to by any means, but if you'd like to, you'd like to just come over and grab one of these cards and a Sharpie marker and just write a word or two on there for you that, that fills in that blank. Jesus is. And maybe you're in a particular season right now where, where Jesus is uh, strength or Jesus is hope like we're, we're going to talk about today or Jesus is uh, your friend or Jesus is uh, comfort. You know, something personal to you. You don't have to put your name on it. You just write a word or two on there and then take one of those little hangers and, and hang it over here uh, on this tree. That'd be great. But I'll, I'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. Um, I've always loved Christmas and the nostalgia that, that Christmas brings with it. Um, and, and we have some, some really hard and fast rules in the Williams household uh, at my house when it comes to Christmas, uh, and really just in general. I mean, we have rules, you know, uh, the regular ones, like don't kill anybody, right? Uh, don't steal, don't quit, don't cheat, you know, don't lie. Those, those things, those are, those are good rules to have. But one of the hard rules that I have in my house is that we don't decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving, Anybody? Amen? All right. I know you may think I'm a Scrooge, you know, whatever, but that's just my thing. It's like I like to celebrate Thanksgiving, and then we get to Christmas, right? Like each one is its own holiday. Let's not skip holidays, right? Like I hate going into department stores at St. Patrick's Day and seeing Christmas decorations. You know what I mean? And so uh, we, that's one of the rules. Well, this year, Sad to say that I actually lost out on that uh, on that rule. Um, I was out of town uh, a week before <laughs> a week before Thanksgiving uh, this year, and I come back, and all of a sudden Christmas has blown up in my house. And so uh, it was decorated. It was all you know spread out out there. It was you know it it was good. I, I ended up losing out. Now I, don't get me wrong. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I, I love. Uh, love all of the things that that come uh, with Christmas, um, and and I'm all in. I'm all in with it. Like I, I love it. I'm just all in with it. I'm talking like Christmas movies. We watched Elf last night. It was fantastic. We, we'll watch it a million times, you know, before now and in the end of Christmas. We watch it like in July. You know, it's no, you know, Dollywood, eggnog. Like uh, anybody, eggnog. Like you, anybody. Okay, all right. Uh, don't tell me what you put in it, but uh, but I, I'm all about some eggnog. Like I, I love drinking eggnog, and so like when it comes to Christmas, I am I am all in. I just I love the Christmas season, but I am more in now than I've ever been. 
I am more in now than I have ever been. As I've gotten older, I've become more and more in with Christmas than ever. Because as I get older, the more I realize how much Advent and Christmas mean to me for the whole year and not just this one month or this one season that we're in. And by being all in, I don't mean, you know, necessarily the the gifts and the lights and the movies. All that stuff is great, but the, the true essence of Advent, the true essence of Christmas, the true essence of all of that being Jesus. And so my hope that although this is an Advent and and Christmas series, that that what we will take away from it will be associated with our entire year. And it won't just be relegated to this one uh, particular season. Uh, And and it won't just be stuck on the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus that don't even know a word yet. Like, I want, we have to remember, we have to remember this, that, that the book ends of of the life of Christ. It started, it started with him being a baby and coming, the incarnation of God himself in the flesh. But it ended with his death, burial, and resurrection, which gives us life, gives us eternal life. It gives us our salvation. And so my hope is that this will be something that will stick with us long after we've put up the tree and, and tossed out the wrapping paper. And so this season that we are in right now leading up to Christmas is called Advent. And Advent means it's the approach to Christmas. And and that word Advent, it literally means awaiting eagerly an arrival. Advent brings with it this eager anticipation, uh, this eager uh, expectation. Um, If you think about that and you think about eager anticipation and and eager uh, expectation, no one is more eagerly expectant than a child at Christmas. Amen? Um, My daughter has literally asked me for, I don't know, weeks now, how many days till Christmas? Dad, how many days till Christmas? Every single day. And so we count down. How many days till Christmas? I mean, don't judge me on this because I'm a sinner, but we even do that creepy elf on a shelf thing. Like, um, that joker is creepy. But we do it, and, and we have fun with it. But again, I'm more in now than I've ever been before. I actually enjoy getting that dude out and, and putting like him in weird things and like doing fun stuff with him. I smeared peanut butter all over his face this morning. You know, and my kids found it, and they were like, his, his name is Jackson. And so they come in, and they're like, oh, Jackson got in the peanut butter. And, you know, in my head, I'm going, y'all know that's fake, right? Like, <clears throat> they do, but uh, they just, they, they, have, they have fun with it. But it, it builds this uh, anticipation. It builds more excitement for them. Kids, they're, they're hopeful. And, and kids everywhere, not just my kids, but, but kids everywhere, they're always hopeful. Christmas brings with us this hopeful kind of season. And maybe it's uh, that they hope for different things. Maybe it's a new toy or video game or, or a gift. Or, or maybe it's just to be with family. They're, they're hopeful. Or, or maybe, you know what, maybe you as a parent, maybe it's, it's you. Like the kids, they don't need to be tempered. You're the one that needs to slow it down, Right? Like, you're the one that's going overboard. You're the one with this eager anticipation, this eager excitement. Like, you can't wait. Like, you're that person that's like, hey, it's December 21st. Let's open gifts. Right? Now, um, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted, like, I have this eager anticipation with one gift, and it's only with one gift only. And it's to open my front door on Christmas morning and see Alexis sitting out in the front (laughs) with a bow on it. Um, 
like all the commercials. I mean, because that, that really happens, right? Like, I mean, okay. So, uh, true story, though, I actually got one one year with a bow on it. Uh, I went to, uh, went to some family Christmas morning. We got up, went outside, opened the door. It wasn't in the driveway, uh, you know. Another year, no, no Lexus. So we go to my family's house. We come back. We get back later that, that uh, morning. And because I, I literally say this every single year, is that uh, I, get, I get home and I walk to the front door. And right there in, in the front door, right before I walk into my house, is some powdered sugar, a little toy matchbox car, and a bow on it. <laughs> and it was a Lexus. So uh, I, finally got, I finally got my Lexus. Um, All people, all people, think about this, when it comes to hope, all people long for hope. People have longed for hope for thousands of years. In fact, in the, in the scripture, in the Bible, if you, if you have one with you, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read from there here in just a few moments, but... um, Scripture mentions the word hope some 125 times. And they, the people in, uh, that we read about in the Bible, these stories, they, they longed for hope. As a matter of fact, listen to this. This is all the way back in the Old Testament. So this is before Christ. This is during the, the promise of, of the coming Christ. The writer of this psalm, Psalm 42, says this. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the Hermon from Mount Mizar. And so the writer of this psalm, and we see it all throughout the Psalms, we see it all throughout the Proverbs, we see it all throughout the Old Testament, literally for hundreds of years there was this expectation, this hope of a coming Savior, of God who would come and fulfill his promise. And so it's almost as if this psalmist, as, as he is writing this, I mean, he's, he's really just talking to himself. He's asking himself, why am I cast down? Why is my soul just, just hopeless? And so he reminds himself. It's almost as if he's preaching to himself to say, hey, remember, don't forget, hope in God. You see, I think we have to often remind ourselves of that because it's not natural to hope. It's not natural for us to hope because a a lot of this world is full of hope suckers, is it not? It's like watching a UT football game. I mean, it's it's bad. But this this hope thing, it's not natural. It's not something that we naturally do. And so we have to remind ourselves to, to hope and, and we have to preach to ourselves sometimes to, to remind ourselves to be expectantly hopeful. But, but when we typically express hope, we usually talk about hope in a way that is full of, of uncertainty. I mean, think about the way sometimes that we even talk about hope. Like, uh, I love to fish, and so a lot of times I might say, well, man, I, I hope the fish are biting today. There's not a lot of hope in that. I'm just, I'm hoping, right? I'm just hoping that something happens, or, you know what, I, I hope that my team wins, or I hope that there is, there is no traffic. Like, when we say those things, a lot of times we say them, and they're, they're not really full of hope. Like, they're really full of a whole lot of uncertainty. What we're really saying is, is I'm pretty sure there's going to be traffic. Maybe I won't get stuck in it, Right? 
This is not the way, though, that the Bible really describes hope at all. I've heard it put this way before, is that hope, hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Let me say that again. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. That key word being confident. And then you put that with expectation, a confident expectation. This is the stark difference between having hope and making a wish. There's nothing confident about a wish. Nothing confident about a wish. And so if you could imagine for a moment, imagine uh, putting yourself in the shoes of someone during the, the first century and, and well before even the first century as we read about here in Matthew chapter 1. It was, uh, there was this political darkness that, that reigned in the region. This entire region was occupied by the Roman Empire. They were basically uh, enslaved. The, 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 uh, uh, the nation of Israel had been enslaved different times by different other uh, nations and empires and and so there was this political darkness that was always, almost always with them and around them. Oppression and hopelessness were common among the people. And yet, God promised them that he would send them a savior. Isaiah chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. But we just read it earlier. Mindy read it. In verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is the prophet Isaiah getting a word from God, and, he, and he's speaking this back to the people, letting them know, don't forget, we've been promised a Savior, and He will be light that shines into the darkness. He's coming. Hold on. And then in verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so for hundreds of years, they had heard about this promise, but it didn't happen. And so people began to lose hope. People began to stop believing. But hope, in and of itself, hope is a, it's a universal language because we all understand it, because we all want it, don't we? Even if it's only a little bit of light. You see, the arrival of Jesus, as we're going to dive into, the arrival of Jesus, it changed everything and brought hope to the people. And here's the thing I, that I love about the Christmas story. Here's the thing that I love about the songs that we sang this morning, even the, the Christmas carols that, that we um, don't always associate with uh, necessarily deep theological truths is that they're full of hope. That they're full of hope. And Jesus still brings us hope today. The birth of Jesus, it, it represents a promise fulfilled. It represents hope fulfilled. The birth of Jesus, it, it gives us all co uh, cause for hope. And so think about this for a moment. Ask yourself this question. What, what would our days look like if we lived expectantly like a child around Christmas for what God could do in a hopeful way? In Matthew chapter 1, um, it's the story of the announcement of the arrival of Jesus uh, to Joseph, who uh, would be his adoptive earthly father. Um, and so this series, again, is called Jesus Is, and today we're, we're talking about how Jesus is hope. 
how Jesus is hope. And so I want to show you three reasons why I believe that we can have hope today through Matthew chapter 1. Three reasons why, why hope is real, why, why hope is something that can fill us up, not just for this season, but for the entire year. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. But number one is this. We can have hope because Jesus is not afraid of our mess. Jesus is not afraid of our mess. Um, now, it's no secret, secret that, uh, that we live in a, in a messed up world, amen? Um, I don't think that anybody would argue that for sure. But as messed up as it is now, as messed up as, as it is here for us now, it was really messy during the times of Jesus and before uh, Jesus, because if you think that we have civil rights problems now, they had it really, really, really bad. Multiply that by about a thousand, and that would be somewhat of what it was like then. It was super, super, super messy. And I don't know about you, but but uh, when it comes to messes, I tend to do whatever it takes to avoid them, ignore them, and run from them. Like, I don't like I don't like messy. I don't like messes. I don't like dealing with messes. In fact. Uh, we have a laundry room in our in our house, and it's sort of like a mud room, laundry room type deal. And and uh, a couple of months ago, we started to rearrange it a little bit, and uh, kind of got a little messy, a little messed up. And then all of a sudden, some stuff got piled up in there. And now I don't even like going in there. In fact, I just avoid it. <laughs> like, and I know, like I know that I've got to clean it up. I know that it's got to get organized, and I know that something's got to get done with it. But I'm like, what could I do besides dealing with that mess? I'll go rake leaves. Right? Like, I mean, it's just like, you know, anything. And I hate raking leaves, too. So, uh, like, I take the lesser of two evils. Like, I don't like, I don't like messes. I don't like dealing with them. I, I avoid them. And that's not a good quality to have. But, but I, I do sometimes. But here, here's, here's the beauty of, of Jesus is that Jesus, Jesus looked down into the mess and then he entered into it. He looked down into the mess, and then he entered into it. God in the flesh came to be in the mess. He entered into the mess. That's the story of the incarnation that God put himself in flesh in the form of a baby and entered into the the mess of this world with us. Look at this. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, says this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that means that when she had been engaged to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, even the story of the arrival of Christ starts with a mess. That Mary being pregnant 
but yet not being pregnant by Joseph, but being pregnant by the Holy Spirit, yet they are engaged. This was a huge cultural no-no. Like this, you, this did not happen. In fact, uh, what could have happened was is she could have been put to death. Is what could have happened. Joseph could have divorced her, as he mentioned, very quietly. All of this was a huge, huge mess, and yet this is the way that God ordained it to happen. This is the way that God wanted it to happen. You see, Jesus didn't run from the mess, but he stepped down into it. And I I don't know about you, but this blows me away every time I think about it. See, we, we live in this world of instant gratification and satisfaction be honest for a moment how how many of us have gotten upset in the last i don't know month because the internet was too slow right (laughs) right and by slow it was like half a second off right i mean you know our our gigabyte went down you know you know just barely you know to a crawling speed i had to wait a whole half second to get the page to load it was awful right we hate waiting you see when jesus entered into the mess Things, things didn't change immediately. Things didn't change immediately when Jesus entered into the mess. Like the world all of a sudden hadn't become saved. The, the world wasn't all of a sudden better. Everything didn't change like just, just like that, just immediately. Things didn't change immediately, but when he entered into the mess, he changed them eventually. Things changed eventually. See, Jesus always changes everything eventually. Messy things, when put into the hands of Jesus, don't always get better immediately, but they will get better eventually. Anything taken out of our hands and put into his hands will always have a better chance of getting better. So let me, let me ask you, as we talk about Jesus being hope and that, that he is not afraid of our mess, we can have hope because he's not afraid of our mess. What, what are we holding on? What are you holding on to that you need to put into his hands? He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of it. And he's not surprised by it either. You're never going to lay anything at the foot of the cross and Jesus look down at it and go, what is this? When did this happen? When were you thinking that? When did you do that? Like, that's not going to happen. He's not surprised by your mess. He's not surprised by my mess. And he's not afraid of it. Number two. Number two, we can have hope because with Jesus, nothing is impossible. With Jesus, nothing is impossible. Look at verse 19. The story of the birth of Christ is is simple proof of this. Verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Stop right there and think about how just nuts that is. So Joseph comes and and thinks, well, I'm going to have to divorce her. And so what does God do? God does exactly what needed to be done, even what would seem impossible to be done. God does it anyway. And so uh, an angel appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Again, I already said this once, but the bookends of the life of Christ are a virgin birth and a resurrection. Think about that. I mean, think about those two miracles in and of itself. The, the life of Christ is, is bookended by a virgin birth 
and a resurrection. I don't know about you, but I'm following that guy. Nothing is impossible with God. This is a reminder to us that that with Jesus, Jesus brings hope because nothing is impossible with him. And you might think to yourself, well, yeah, but see, you don't, you don't really know my situation. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And, and you don't know how bad it is. You don't know how messy it is. And, and I would say to you, you're absolutely right, I don't. And I'm not going to stand up here and act like that I do. And so even though you may be in a big storm, you have to remember that, that Jesus actually tells the storms what to do. nothing is impossible with him and so when this angel uh, we see sort of a, a side story happening when the angel visited uh, Mary we can read about this in, in, Luke, in the book of Luke but when the angel visited Mary to to tell her that she was going to give birth to Jesus she asked the question this this angel comes and says Mary you are you are with child and and it, you, this child that you are carrying is is conceived by the holy spirit and this child that is within you is Jesus is Messiah is savior and and he will be born to to save the world of their sins and Mary asked a question that I think every single one of us would ask how is that possible how is that how how is this possible and the angel's response i love what the angel responds back to mary with her question you know what the angel says for nothing is impossible with god mary (laughs) how is this possible nothing is impossible and mary's response back to the angel is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture one of my favorite verses in all of of the christmas story but mary's response back is okay well, then let it be to me. She basically says, all right, if it's like that, I'm all in. <laughs> if nothing is impossible, okay, I'm all in, let's go. We need to be anything is possible kind of people. And what if we were anything is possible kind of people? What if we really actually believe that God is who he says he is and that he can do everything that he promised he would do? How would that change the way that we live our lives? How would that change the way that we walk in hope? My son, Isaiah, uh, later today, uh, he's going to be baptized later today and uh, in the 11 o'clock service. And so, um, yeah. and it, thank you. Uh, here's the crazy thing. Um, you think, oh, okay, well, that must be easy. You're a pastor. I mean, that's just supposed to happen, right? Um, not necessarily, but uh, you see, my wife and I, from uh, way before we even had children, I mean, we, we prayed for our children, that our children would become followers of Christ, and that they would, would walk in hope, and that they would uh, follow Him, and love Him, and, and, and grow up in Him, and so, uh, you know, forever, since, you know, our children have been born, you know, we've obviously, you know, I've been trying to, to teach them um, what it means to follow Christ, and what that looks like, and, and all of that stuff, and, and here's the crazy thing, my son, who's eight years old, uh, has, um, we've had conversations about what it means to follow Christ, we've had conversations about what it means to, to give our life to Christ, and, and all of that stuff, and, 
and not once have I ever sat down with him and said, okay, son, you're, it's time for you to, to go ahead and pray this prayer, so pray this prayer and give your life to Christ. Like, not once have I ever done that, because here's what I believe. I believe that, that when the Holy Spirit finds that it's time, the Holy Spirit will save. And so, um, and so we just continued to pray for that. And so this past week, we were uh, spending Thanksgiving uh, at the beach uh, and um, just, you know, hanging out with, with friends and family. And, and it's late at night, and we're, we're sitting on the couch, and we're just watching some TV, and, and nothing in particular is going on. Now, uh, I am a bit of a dork. There, there, there was a guy preaching on TV, and I was watching some preaching. But uh, what he was talking about had absolutely really nothing to do with, uh, with the, son, the question that my son asked because he hadn't been in the room, but he comes back in the room, and he just comes over, and he comes over to me, and he just walks over to me. And it's like 10 o'clock at night uh, down there, which means it's like 11 o'clock here, so it's kind of late. And uh, he just walks over to me, and he goes, Hey, Dad, um, I think I'm, I want to I wanna be saved. I, I want to I wanna give my life to Christ. And, uh, it, you know, it was just the craziest thing. My wife's in the kitchen. She's, she's baking some stuff. And my daughter's over there. Like, there's, like, we're not at a church service. We're not doing anything. Like, it's just, just going on. And all of a sudden, he just says, hey, I think it's time. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And so we had a conversation, and, and we prayed, and, and he gave his life to Christ. And then, so today, he's going to be baptized. But I, say, I tell you that story because of this. Because, again, nothing is impossible with God. We didn't force that to happen. God made it happen. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I believe that. Do we believe that? Can we walk in that? So that's number two. We can have hope because with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Number three, we can have hope because Jesus is always, Jesus always fulfills his promises. Jesus always fulfills his promises. If you look at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1, it says this. It says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then it gives the prophecy again. Let me read Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 to you. This is, again, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. The prophet Isaiah speaking about the foretold birth of Christ. Verse 14 of chapter 7, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. 700 years later, this promise would be fulfilled in Christ. The God who who gave this promise 700 years earlier, he always comes through on his promises. Always comes through on his promises. The God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you will prove faithful to us. The God who says neither death nor life nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from his love. The God who says that will prove to be faithful and come through on that promise. The God who says that there will be a day when he will wipe away every tear. That there will be no mourning. That there will be no crying. That there will be no sadness. That there will be no more pain. That there will be no sickness. The God who made this promise will prove to be faithful in his promise to us. He's faithful to his word every single time. When we get to the end of the Old Testament, in fact, if you're in Matthew chapter 1, if you just flip back a few pages, you see Malachi chapter 4. And that's the end of the Old Testament. Um, At the end of the Old Testament, God uh, speaks to the prophet Malachi and and uh, you can read that. It's just a really short chapter. You can read that if you want to. But these would actually be the last words spoke, spoken to a prophet for 400 years until this angel 
appears and speaks of the birth of the Savior. So for 400 years, there was nothing but silence. And so up to this point, there had been hundreds and hundreds of years of this promise of a coming Savior. The Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. And then all of a sudden, for 400 years, silence. In that silence, just like I'm sure that the people of Israel did at at, at this time, in that silence, just like for us, It's where you and I, where we tend to doubt the promises of God the most. I have a friend that says this, and I love love that he says this because it's so true, but he says that, that just because he is silent doesn't mean that he is absent. Just because God seems to be silent doesn't mean that he is absent, that he is actually walking right there with us, that he is right there next to us. And you see, spiritual hope, spiritual hope is not just wishful thinking. It's confident expectation that God is going to make good on his promises. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, sort of the, the culmination of the promise fulfilled. And that after the birth of Christ and as he began to grow and as he began his, his earthly ministry and as he goes to the cross to to die for our sins, to redeem us, to save us, and then three days later is, is resurrected again. Uh, after this, years after this, Paul, writing to a, a group of people in a church in a place called Galatia, says this. In verse 4 of chapter 4 of Galatians, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, meaning that when it was just the right time, when it was just the right time, God fulfilled his promise. That's hope. God came through with what he said he would do, and he brought us a Savior. He brought us a Savior, God with us. And the fact, that fact alone, that fact alone should cause immense excitement in us. Not just for this season, but just in general. So think about it like this. Think about it like this. When we think about God sending his son into the mess to be with us. You know what I didn't do when I, when I asked my wife to marry me? I didn't send somebody else to do it. I didn't, I didn't call a friend of mine and be like, hey, could you do me a favor? Like, ah, this is going to be a little awkward. Could you go and ask Danera to marry me? Not you, me, right? <clears throat> could you go and do that? You see, and God, God didn't send somebody else into the mess either. He came to the mess to fulfill hope to show exactly what we just sang about in that song, Oh Holy Night. That, that, that the soul felt its worth. I love that line in that song. 
that the soul felt its worth because it reminds us that your soul and my soul were worth enough for God to leave heaven, to enter into the mess, to be with us, to live a sinless life, to die a horrific death, and then to be resurrected again three days later. That's value. How do you know how much you're going to pay for something? How much do you value it? So God sent himself into the mess. So let me ask you this question as we close this morning. What are some of the, what are some of the negative thoughts that keep you from, from hope? What are some of the, the hope suckers in your life around you? What are some of the things that, that are keeping you from actually trusting God? The name Emmanuel, Jesus, it, it means God with us. And it's a reminder that, that he is with us, even if his voice feels silent. God is powerfully present, even when he is seemingly absent. And I'll leave us with this. Psalm 34, 18, it says this. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The person who wrote that psalm was a guy named David. And when he wrote that, He wrote it because David had made a mess. David had made a mess. He had committed adultery. He'd had a man murdered. He lied about it all, tried to cover it up. He had made a mess. And so as he wrote, as he prayed, as he thought on the Savior, the coming Savior, He wrote those words that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit because he was crushed in spirit. But yet he had hope. And if you've made a mess of things, you're in good company. You're not alone. Jesus is near. Not just at Christmas. But he is near to us. As we close and, and, and pray together this morning, I just want you to, to wrestle with that question. What is it that is keeping you from, from having hope? What is it that, that is keeping you from, from walking in this confident expectation that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do everything that he promised he would do? Uh, as we read scriptures, so far, so good. He's done everything that he said he promised he would do. And so I have reason to believe that he's going to continue to do that. And so what is it that is keeping you from that? As we, as we pray this morning, as we come and as we take communion, as we sing uh, together here in these last few moments together, we're going to be singing a song called In Christ Alone, right? Is that good? Yeah? Okay, good. Whew, got it right. Whole message hinged on that. <laughs> the, it, this song, In, in Christ Alone, the song in Christ alone, I mean, you think about the lyrics to it. And so as you sing it, I want you to let the lyrics of this song sink deep within you and, and let it resonate within your soul. Because I, I, I truly, honestly believe that if you're holding on to something that you need to place into his hands, again, they may not get better immediately, but placed into his hands, they will get better eventually. But if there's something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of, that you need to place into his hands, my prayer for you is that this morning that you will make that happen, that you will have that conversation with God, that you will lay those things at his feet.
Don't go into this season. Don't go into 2017 without hope. Because Jesus is hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for, God, this, just this moment in time, God, that we can be here together, God, as we just contemplate you and, and think about all that you've done for us, God, and the hope that you bring to us. God, your story, God, from the beginning of time and until whenever it ends, God, is, is a story of hope, God, of how you bring to us hope, that you sent to us hope in the form of what started out as a baby but God ended as a man who would give his life for us and to us and it is in you alone God that we have our hope there is nothing else God if there is anything else that we have placed our hope in God would you draw those things to our attention and remind us that they those things are hopeless that only you are hope that anything God, that, that we've tried to, to place our hope in, God. God, would you just remind us again that those things are empty? That, God, you are not. And so during this, this time, God, we just, we ask for the courage to be able to, to pray, to be able to seek you, God, to be able to, to let go of what is keeping us from the hope that you bring us. It's in your name we pray. We just invite you to stand to your feet and sing, continue to pray, continue to worship.